yeah, yeah. My name is Micah. Welcome to the Be Real Podcast. Uh. We trying to do something real quick, but not too fast. Uh. I messed up, and this verse will be my last. Buy my mixtape. It's dropping in the past. Uh. Oh. <laughs> oh, maybe in the future. Oh. Oh. I can't rhyme future. Oh. Maybe I should have used past. I would have said it last, <laughs> okay. but now I'm about to school you, take you back to class. Oh. oh. Cut the beat, burst. Cut the beat. <laughs> <laughs> what's up? What's up, family? Welcome to the B-Roll Podcast. If you don't know, let me tell you a little something. I'm your host, forever doing the most, Micah Stokes, and I'm joined by no other than my brother, Will B. Greetings, greetings to the people. In the place to be. Hello, everybody. And B is for? Boisterous. Okay, that's a big one. That I'm, I'm trying to add syllables to my bees these days. Okay, B- boisterous. Boisterous. Um, what else you got? B is for beloved. Beloved. Amen. Come yes. On. Yes. And B is also for boy. I ain't got nothing else. That's all, <laughs> that's all I gotta say. <laughs> it's a struggle. Okay. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Well, it's a good thing that you and I don't have much to say. Because today we have a special episode where we are going to hear from one of my favorite storytellers of all time. Yes, we have Charlene on our podcast today. And so without further ado, we're about to jump to this episode. Hope y'all enjoy it. Yes, we'll indeed. see y'all at the end. What's up, everyone? We are here with a very special guest. No other Oh, man, I can't believe it. She's finally here. She's here. <laughs> uh, it is my big sis, Charlene Alice Provolus. Hey. If you don't know, I don't know where you've been. <laughs> What's up, sis? How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. So happy that you were able to join us today for this special session of the podcast. And uh, go ahead and tell everyone real quick. Go ahead and run your stats. What you do? Yes, Who are let you? Let us know. What do I do in a nutshell? Well, I'm a spoken word poet and a storyteller. That's what I do. So um, spend most of my time trying to tell my story, tell God's story and inspire people as much as I can. Mm, I like it. I like it. That's a life well lived in in my mind. Like if that's if those are your goals and you accomplish those, I ain't got nothing else for you. Right. That's awesome. So what are some ways that you seek to you said inspire? Um, I want to play off that for a minute. What are some ways that you intentionally seek to inspire? How does that work into your like day-to-day life? Yeah, I think for me, I mean, the biggest part of inspiration for me is just being honest about what my story is. Mm. Um, I think when people hear my testimony, I hope that they're inspired by it, you know? Yeah. It's definitely, you know, we all have our, our stories of struggle and, and victory, and I've just seen God do a lot. I've seen God restore a lot. And so mm. My hope is that by me being transparent, which we do as artists, as creatives, being transparent and sharing that people will be inspired by that, will be inspired by the life that I live, if you will. Um, so yeah. those are the kind of the, my intentional ways, I guess, primarily using my art creativity. So That's awesome. That's great. What is your story? That's what we really want to hear. Yeah. I know it's what I want to hear. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to speak for the people and say that's what we want to hear. Um, I'm intrigued as well. So who is Charlene? Yeah, this is really good. Well, I hope y'all can strap in because I'm going to just tell y'all what, you know, what it is. Okay. Um, All right. Got my seatbelt on. Well, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. Shout out from those who are from up top. Which neighborhood in Brooklyn? 
Bushwick. Bushwick. Yeah, that's where okay. I came from. Okay. It's okay. Um, okay. Bed side in the building, but you know, we love we love Bushwick too. It's all hood. It's all hood. It really is. I'm from the projects. So I was trying to like, you know, be a little bit more proper, but you know, yeah, that's where I'm from. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my story is kind of crazy. I mean, I give God praise for the fact that I'm even alive, that mm. I even have breath in my body. You know, church people be like, you know, to God be the glory. But I'm like, legit, <laughs> if God didn't come through, a girl would not be sitting here today. Mm, um, but yeah, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. You know, I had two parents. Obviously, my mom and my dad, they loved me. And, you know, I don't ever doubt whether my parents love me. But, you know, like most adults, they made some choices that dramatically impacted my life. Mm. You know, I grew up, um, my mom and my dad were both um, on drugs for a period of time on here, you know, heroin addicts. And that changes the trajectory of your life. You know, as a little kid, you know, growing up in a, a very dysfunctional situation, not even realizing that that's, you know, what it was until much later, even, even now, you know, several decades later, I'm like, wow, that was some serious trauma that I experienced right, as right. a kid. Um, but yeah, that was my parents' story, you know, and I was eventually taken away from my parents and put in foster care. Mm. Um, you know, by the grace of God, I was adopted back within my family, but I had a lot of things happen in between that time frame, you know? Mm. Um, you know, one of my platforms right now, something I'm really passionate about in terms of my artistry and my work as a speaker, as a writer, is advocating, you know, for young people who have had similar experiences that I have had, you know? I'm, I don't know if it's my soul, my soul mission, but one of the things I feel really passionate about attacking is is childhood trauma because mm-hmm. I've just seen mm-hmm. how it can dramatically impact people's lives, and I believe that you know it's never God's intention for someone to experience that, and He certainly can use it to His glory. But yes, you know, we're gonna keep believing God for the day when you know little people don't have to can you know go through some of the things that I went through, you know, yeah. being abused and being neglected and kind of suffering through that, having some issues with my identity and. Just all those kind of challenges, yeah. you know. But you know, some bright things did happen. I'm gonna say it's all bad, you know. <laughs> um, you know, I was ad- I was adopted back within my family by my I was, I, I should know this by now. My grandmother's sister, so great grand aunt, great aunt, great aunt. I'm gonna say great aunt. Look, but my in, grandma's in case, sister. In case you don't know, in brown families, you really don't have a great behind any title you like really don't. you just auntie like <laughs> forever. forever you just auntie, auntie forever. You, you might auntie. be old auntie like as a child that's how you yeah. differentiate right, right. you know between like grandma's sister and your mom's sister it's like which one's older okay yeah that's who goes with that one. <laughs> yeah but no that's definitely. what's up yeah and i'm really grateful for her you know she was the first person to kind of give me a, a spiritual foundation mm. like no no lie the story how i even like so I knew she was a part of my family, right? But I remember when I was in foster care, which is crazy. My first foster care family was that they were actually Jehovah's Witnesses. So hmm. in oh, terms wow. of faith, you know, I mean, now I love Jesus and, you know, I'm a believer. But my first religious experience was in foster care with this Jehovah's Witness family. It was wow. very so interesting. very structured, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, going yeah. from being that kid that ran around and played in dirt and, you know, <laughs> I'm not even alive. Oh, I remember. I'm sorry, but Jehovah Witness kids don't play in dirt. Like I'm not being funny. No, like, I was just a hood kid. Who got played you. In okay. Dirt. Like, I was like, oh, like, dang, that is had, strict. Uh, like, <laughs> like no real structure in my mm. life. Um, you know, I remember there being crack bottles in my house and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Like I am very familiar with. I was like, wow, that was a really not good situation. Mm. But you know what? It is what it is. And when you're yeah. growing up, you know, you just you roll with it. Um, you learn. It's funny because, you know, they have like formal 
formal like programs and education around resilience. But like mm. when you're from the hood, mm. you don't get no formal education. You either you do it to you survive. Just live it. Yeah, um, it's a survival time. So I remember when I was in foster care, this was just really interesting story. You know, when you're in foster care, you have to check in, you know, with social services and your caseworker. Can I, I remember, I'm sorry to interrupt. Ahead. Can I ask for the purposes of my visual how old you were when you went into foster care? Mm, I probably was like, I feel like I was maybe eight. Gotcha. So that's elementary was school. Yeah, age. I was definitely yeah. elementary school. Gotcha. Um, and it's crazy because I don't remember large portions of going to school. Mm. Um, you know, I'm in the process of writing my book. Um, and you know, recapping my story, which will be really interesting. And I'm like, wow, there's whole chunks of my childhood that I mm. think, you know, I, you you block. Mm. And so now I'm having to be like, all right, Lord, we need to bring that back up. I need to get some serious healing from that. Yeah. Deal with that level of trauma and be able to allow you to turn that into something that can actually bless wow. other people. Um, but yeah, I remember, you know, we went to went to you know our check in or whatever, and I remember seeing my aunt across across social services, like in the building. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I know that lady. I didn't know who she was by name, but I was like, she and my family, I've seen her before. Mm -hmm. And it was probably a matter of weeks later that I ended up being in her house. Mm. You know, I came from the Jehovah's Witness house. So they sent me with tracks. <laughs> my aunt took them, trashed them immediately. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess you don't get down with the Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> That's the end of that. So it was Lesson like, one. Lesson one. Yeah. She, was like, she was like, yeah, we don't believe that. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. Um, that's cool. <laughs> I mean, they just sent me, these people just sent me here with this stuff. Hmm. Um, but yeah, she was like, for real, charismatic, like Jesus loving, praying in tongues at McDonald's kind of mama. Mm. Um, hey, and, McDonald's is a place for that hey, sometimes. She's like, hey, we're going to say this, Grace, and we're going we gonna to go straight to heaven okay, with it. Um, oh, but well, I really, yes. you know, I, I appreciated the foundation that she, that she, she, she laid, you know. Mm. Um, I remember her. You know, speaking the word of God, I remember her praying. I remember her introducing me to Jesus and taking me to church. Um, and even in the midst of that, it's really crazy because I still had a lot of challenges. You know, I still some of the most traumatic experience that I had happened while I was actually in her care, which mm. is really interesting. So, you know, the fact that I even love Jesus and have a relationship with God now is really interesting because, mm. you know, I was dealing with um, child sexual abuse like during that particular season of my life mm. and still going to church. And so my view of God and my view of family, it was all messed up. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember being a young kid and thinking, man, I, I want to like love God and do the right thing. But when you carry shame and guilt in your heart like that um, mm -hmm. from such a young age, it's really hard to have a proper perspective of who God is. So, Absolutely. you know, every time they gave an altar call when she took us to church, I was like, well, I need to go get Jesus again. Because <laughs> I'm just dealing with the shame of what, you know, and not being able to communicate that and share that stuff. And it was at one point. Um, you know, my aunt actually found out what was happening and I still wasn't removed from that from that situation, which was even more interesting mm. because I'm like, OK, so now that's just a level of personal responsibility that's just not happening. And mm. so anyways, I survived that. Um, and there's so much more to my story. I guess you have to read it in mm. the book. Uh, Man, so slight blood, slight blood. It's a great teaser for the yeah. book. I'm about to say, well, when's this book coming I mean, out? Well, yeah, such, I, I'm working on it right now <laughs> set to be done next year that's okay, going to be the okay. key next year 2022 Two. Um, yeah. okay. so uh but yeah there's a lot of things that happen in between there but i mean it's just it was a crazy season of life you yeah. know um and we were in, still in brooklyn um eventually we kind of we left brooklyn my great aunt my granny aunt whatever we're gonna, <laughs> i called her my mom at the time um, yeah. because she was filling that role in my life mm -hmm, and yeah. She made it very clear, I'm your mama. Like, <laughs> mm. there's the mom who gave birth to you, mm. and then there's me 
who are is caring for you. And you know, I think she had very good intentions, um, but she certainly by no means was perfect. Mm-hmm. But if nothing else, you know, I remember, and despite everything that happened in, in her household and things that were not well, I really believe that God had me there to like get to get me to a place of getting that foundation. Yeah. Because she still was the first person to teach me the word. She still was the first person to teach me how to pray. She was someone that I looked at as like, okay, well, if I ever need to go to God, I know you you gotta you gotta be line to him. So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she was an evangelist and she traveled and she she preached and she taught and so. Her ministry was just fascinating to me, even as a little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, eventually moved from New York and we moved to North Carolina, the small town of Rayford. Um, it's okay. tiny, y'all. Okay. Rayford? Uh, yeah, I don't Rayford. know where that is. I've, I've heard near, of it. Near Rayford. Fayetteville. It's, yeah. Oh, you know, okay. Hold on. Say that one, one more time. School. Say that one more time. Fayetteville. Ooh, that's, the that's South guy. Look, yeah, I was yeah. saying, no, North how, Carolina how say took over. Well, I mean, for those of you who do not live in the great state of North Kakalaki, uh, <laughs> it's spelled Fayetteville. Oh, I would say Fayetteville. But most people say Fayetteville. Fayetteville. Or they say or Fayetteville. 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 That's what Fayetteville. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whatever you whatever you want to say. I say Fort Bragg. Fort Bragg. That's, oh, yeah. what, that's what and, I know. The, yeah. That's why I don't <laughs> say Fort Bragg in the surrounding <laughs> areas. Like that's that. that's why I know it for. So yeah, good old Hope County, um, which is actually where my, my mom's side of the family's from. So mm. my you know, backtracking my my parents, my dad was an immigrant from Haiti. And so okay. he came to America when he was 16 years old. He and my mom met, and their story is just so cute. I just think it's I think it's worth sharing. And you know, in the midst of all of this stuff that has happened, but like legit, my dad, <laughs> well, I guess he was being a bit of a creeper, but anyways, <laughs> there's like a six-year difference between my mom and my dad. So okay. back in Brooklyn, you know, my mom used to frequent this one Chinese spot. So if you don't know anything about Brooklyn, it's a Chinese food restaurant Facts, every, every corner. corner. <laughs> um, and this guy would like come in and try to talk to her. Well, one time he just got bold and was like, I'm going to just pay for your food. My mom was like, okay. <laughs> so, and the rest is wow, history. Wow. Okay. Um, okay. It's really fascinating. So they eventually did get married. And um, even though they, like I said, they had their challenges with drug addiction, you know, it's still a really interesting look back. I have three brothers. We all have the same mom and dad. Now we know that does not normally happen. <laughs> That's mm, right, parents right, who struggle right. out on drugs right, who right. still managed to have enough common sense to make babies <laughs> with each other, um, which no tells me a lot. Hmm. Um, and even to this yeah. day, when I talk to my biological mom, because it's so interesting when she tells stories about my dad, I've never one time in my life ever heard her say anything negative about my biological hmm. dad. So it's really interesting. So fast forward, kind of jumping around a bit. So I'm with my aunt. We moved to Rayford, right? Um, and I guess this is, you know, a bit of a fresh start coming out of the city or whatnot. But then, you know, Tragedy kind of strikes again. My mm-hmm. biological father, whom I love, you know, I've always been a daddy's girl, even though I wasn't necessarily growing up with my father. I still loved him. Anytime mm-hmm. we, I had a chance as a kid to hang around him, it was a big deal because my dad treated me like I was a princess, legit. Mm-hmm. And I have those are the memories that I have of him. But um, not too long after we moved to North Carolina, my biological father got really, really sick. Um, and then he died uh, pretty suddenly. No one really knows how he died. You know, my mom, my biological mom, she got all kind of conspiracies. Mm. Like, I was like, yo, this is crazy out here. <laughs> um, apparently some Italians and some witchcraft, a whole bunch what? of red rants. What? Hold on, mama Haitian too? No, my mom's from, my mom's American. Okay. She's very much Brooklyn. Okay. Brooklyn, yeah. Look, I was about to say, she said Italians and voodoo. I was like, hold on. Oh, no. Like, he, you know, he worked in 
auto mechanic world and, you know, was about to, this is what I thought was really, really cool. My dad is, uh, when I was younger, had opened up his own auto body shop. He was mm-hmm. like going to work for himself. And he was very much like, hey, I'm going to do my own thing. That's, I guess that's where I get part of my entrepreneurial drop from. It's my dad. Yeah. Which I didn't even know this story until like recently. But apparently he like uh, was working for some Italians and then stopped doing that. Got in business for himself. Was working with another Haitian guy. And my mom thinks that that guy Kill my dad. It's very like it's like Whoa. mystery, crazy. This is um, like a Netflix. So is this book number two. You write it. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what we'll see how what we dig up um, in the midst of research and all this stuff. But but yeah, I mean, and my father passed away. That was a big deal. That was hard for me. You know, yeah. it was one of my first major losses. So mm-hmm. you know, this is like before my 18, 19 birthday. Okay, mm-hmm. so backtracking up. You know, I'm the kid whose both parents are on drugs. I was in foster care. I was adopted. I was abused, and now I'm losing my father, someone yeah. who I really loved. And so life was dark. <laughs> you know, I ain't gonna front. Like it was, it was heavy. I'm still trying to go to church, right, um, and trying to do the Jesus thing, and just overwhelmed with guilt. Yeah. Mm. So eventually, finished high school. You know, I go to college, and like every other college student, you know, I had my experiences and made really poor choices, and can't really blame anybody for that. Um, you know, but got really caught up in some stuff that I'd rather not be caught up in, you know, bad relationships, uh, you know, drugs or whatever. Sorority life. I, okay. and it's crazy because I was a chaplain, so I guess I had the most Jesus and wow. I was still a heathen. <laughs> that tells you anything. I will not say what sorority I, I, was, I, I was about to ask, too. Usually, you, you know, you like, say they slide it out there. But. Well, I mean, I am, That's- well. Remember, no pressure. Singing Amber Rose Sorority Incorporated. Okay. So. She said that so quick, too. I don't know if anyone else caught what it was. They're going to have to slow the Sing tape down. Singing Yep. Um, yep. So, yes, that's where I, where I pledged in college. And it was, a, you know, it was a wild time, like, going through school. And um, my senior year, I guess my junior year of, of college, my, my aunt, who I call my mama, who adopted me, uh, she also got really sick. And she was diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. And I remember that being like, of all the stuff that I had went through, that's probably the thing that was like the hardest. Mm. I was like, I am about to lose the one person who has a connection to God. Um, and I don't know what I'm going to do after that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was always really ambitious as a student, like never went home for holidays. I just kind of hustled and grind and just wanted to, you know, part of it for me, going to college was my way of escaping that old life. Mm. I never talked about my story. Like, I never told anyone all that stuff I happened. I was like, yo, I'm gonna go to college. I'm gonna figure out how to get a good job, make money. And I'm not gonna think about that life that mm-hmm. I had. And so that was my plan. And my aunt, who I think she understood that, respected that, you know, never put a lot of pressure on me to like come back or whatever. But when she got sick, it, it, was, a, it was a wake up call for me. Mm-hmm. And I remember traveling back and her biological daughter um, called me one day. I mean, I'm my fall year, my, my the fall semester of my senior year. And she was like, you know, mommy doesn't have very much long to live. Um, actually, it was a spring. And I remember being like, oh, my word. Uh, so one of me and one of my sorority sisters hopped in the car and we drive to the hospital. At that mm-hmm. point, my mom was in the hospital and I'm like at her bedside. Again, mm-hmm. <laughs> every scripture I knew I was going through them. Like I got my halfway relationship with God. Right. I'm the chaplain. So I know some scriptures. Right, right. Um, and I'm just I'm just praying like I'm just hoping that she doesn't die mm-hmm. and I remember getting to a point in that you know watching her and I remember when she took her last breath and for people if, I hope no one has to experience watching someone die mm-hmm. but to watch her die was 
Um, I don't even know how to really describe that. Mm-hmm. I didn't even have an emotional response. I just, it was like the whole world kind of stopped. Everybody around me were like, hey, she's gone. And, you know, people are crying. And I just couldn't even, I couldn't even muster tears. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we started preparing for her funeral. And I believe they asked me to write a portion of her obituary. I still couldn't cry. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until her actual funeral that everybody filled the church, her body's in the front. Mm-hmm. And some of my sorority sisters from college came. And when I looked back in the audience, I saw them and I like broke down. Wow. It's the first time I cried mm-hmm. since she had, he had passed, she, since she had passed away. Mm-hmm. And that kind of set me on a journey. I think, you know, of the darkest season of my life, that's really when things started to unravel for me. Mm-hmm. Because this is why it's so important for you to have your own relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Because I vicariously had a relationship. Like I had made a commitment to follow God a couple of times, but I never I don't I don't remember anyone slowing down and really teaching me what it mean what it meant to be saved by faith through grace. Like I just didn't understand that. Like I thought everything was based on my performance. And mm-hmm. I was the kid who had so much shame that I remember telling God, I cannot be a Christian because I cannot do this life. There's too many things that are broken and there's too many things that have already been messed up. So sure, you can forgive me, but like, yo, I'm still dealing with all this baggage. I can't yeah. do this. Yeah. Um, but my aunt was that person. You know, when I needed something from Jesus, I would go to her. And now she was gone. So I was at a crossroads. I was like, all right, either I'm going to do this thing, Faith, or I'm not. And I remember just spiraling out of control. And part of that was like me trying to figure out how to deal with grief mm-hmm. and not doing it well. Yeah. You know, so this is my senior year of college. I graduate and my aunt's not in the crowd to watch me because she had died a couple weeks before. That was tragic. I immediately start working a job and like go into this major slump of depression. Mm. Um, And one of the ways that I coped with it, unfortunately, was, you know, being in awful relationships. And every bit of morality that I think I might have had, I pretty much let go in that season Mm. Um, and got involved in, um, like I said, relationships that were just unhealthy, which, you know, soul ties will also destroy your soul as well. Mm. And so, I tried to cope, try to do as much as I could to figure out what that was like, but or try to, you know, kind of get back to some level of normality. But I was just I was not good. Yeah. Um, and I remember, you know, in that season, somehow by the grace of God, like, you know, so at this point, I like graduated from college, I graduated from my college undergrad. I started working at another university on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, met a couple different people, you know, unbeknownst to me, some of them were believers. Mm. Which I, you know, I, you know, God's always in for the setup. Yeah, yeah. Um, Facts. So I remember this particular season of of life, and I'm, I'm still trying to piece together the sequence of my story. But at some point, I'm working at a college campus, an all women's campus, after I graduate. So I got all this stuff in my life. I'm like, all right, well, on the days that I could get out of bed and go to work, mm. I like did as best I could. Yeah. But I remember um, one of my students, because I worked in residence life. Um, one of my students was like, "You need to meet this other girl on campus." And I was like, all right. Well, I had seen this girl on campus because she's the only black girl I ever met with red hair. I was like, with yo, what? red hair. Red hair. Bright okay. red hair. Hmm. I was like, who is this chick? And I was like, oh, I'm going to get to meet her. Um, <laughs> when, you know, one of my students is going to introduce me to it. And I remember that night, I don't know what, I just, I know it was the Lord, right? I Like she came, I, I think I went to her, her dorm room. So I work on campus as a residence director. I work in the building. This is a student on campus. Mm-hmm. My other, other uh, friend was, I, I think she was on my staff actually as an RA. She was like, hey, I want you to meet my friend. Now, my other friend knew a little bit about my story because, you know, when you walk in this sense, you can't mm-hmm. hold water. You tell anybody that <laughs> my life is a hot mess. I just was like leak. And I, you know, part of it is that I was, I believe I was trying to find, I was trying to find God. 
Mm-hmm. You know, at that particular time, I was in a in a relationship with a with a guy, and it was just not healthy. Um, yeah. You know, just it was unhealthy, and I was like, I knew it was wrong. You know, from what I learned at church, I was like, yeah, I probably shouldn't be mm-hmm. living this life, but it's where I'm at. Um, and I think I love him, kind of thing, kind of deal. But I remember that night I met this girl. And that's the first thing she asked me about. She went straight, put a jugular, started asking me questions about, mm. you know, my life. And I was like, this is everything that's going wrong. <laughs> um, and she asked me about my relationship with this guy that I was in at the time. Because um, I was like, you know what? It is what it is. And she's, I remember, I will never forget. She was like, is he your first love? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what you're asking me. I'm like, I guess. <laughs> I feel like, you know, I'm kind of playing the role of weekend wifey kind of deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure, sure. He's my first love, whatever that means. She was like, you know, I wrote this poem I want you to hear. I don't even like poetry at that so point. Wait, wait, time out. Let's 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 back up a little bit. So you are how old at this time? Um, I just graduated college. So whatever. Like early 20, 20s. 22. Yeah, yeah. Early 20s. And you you had no interest in poetry no. up to this point. I never even heard of like, I might have experienced spoken word, but I never even heard of it before. That's wild. I actually did not know that. Hmm. This is what's crazy. So this girl <laughs> on campus, she like pulls out this poem <laughs> and I'm like, and she starts reading it. And I remember sitting there being like, yo, something has happened on this side. Hmm. And I left the room. I went back to my apartment on campus and I remember crying my eyeballs out because something in my heart like broke apart. And I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me. I remember God being very clear and saying, hey, you can serve me or you can serve men, but you can't serve both. Mm. And you should choose. Mm. And so no worship team, no, no, none of that. No, no youth group. No, no adult Bible study, nothing. This one girl read a poem. Um, it captured my heart. And I responded to God when he when he called me wow, in God. the privacy of my own room. That's crazy. That's beautiful. And I remember going back to this girl whom I later found out was a believer. She was so dope to me. Because I never thought you could like do art and creativity and <laughs> love God. She just was an anomaly to me. And she ended up discipling me. I would call her and I was like, and so eventually I got invited to church and started attending church. The first time I went to the church that I go to, I didn't want to go back as a bunch of white people. That's a whole nother story for another <laughs> segment. But I'm still at that church today. So God has clearly done a work in my heart. Um, <laughs> Woo, this book's going to be so good, y'all. <laughs> when, you get to, like when you get to that chapter. Okay. Uh, so anyways, I eventually did start going to church and she really started, started discipling me. And it was her. And then she had like two other girls. They they affectionately became the gospel patrol. So here I am, like legit. So I'm like, you know, I I remember I got all this baggage. I don't have major loss in my life. I have been in relationships I should have never been in. And like, right. And I remember the next day after I had made that decision, like I was like, God, I'm going to serve you. The next day I like called the guy that I was in a relationship with and was like, I can't do this no more. Mm. He was shocked. I was shocked. I was like, <laughs> it's bad when you break up on the phone. I was like, I just can't do it no more. He was like, yo, I'm like, I just, this ain't right. Wow. And was it perfect? No. Right. So I remember I still was trying to go back to my old life. Sure. But, uh, Esther, some of, look, some of us, friend, some of us need to just be real. Man. I'm about to be real, right? My friend Esther and these other girls that started discipling me, they was like, yo, where you at? <laughs> and I was like, why y'all still ask me about where I'm at? <laughs> like, it's 10 o'clock at night. 
because they knew my pattern. On weekends, I went and I did, I lived my own life. And they were like, hey, you've made a commitment to follow God now. Mm. Like, you can't keep going back to that old relationship and seeking, um, you know, seeking comfort in a relationship that does not honor God mm. and doing stuff Ooh. that does not honor God. And they would go so far. They was like, you know what? Since you were tempted to leave, we were going to stay with you. There were some weekends those girls would stay the weekend with me wow. to make sure that I did not go back. You're talking about discipleship, like hardcore, mm -hmm. hardcore. A couple of times, one time in particular, I was like, yo, they not here. I'm gone. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, I shouldn't be down this number, Jesus, but I'm struggling and I'm going to go. Um, this is a Be Real podcast. There you right? go. We keep so it I, was like, I was like, yo, I can't do this. Like, mm -hmm. I just one more time, God. Right, <laughs> right. Give me whatever. And this is crazy stories of how God intervenes. I'm driving and I see these girls in the car pass me. What? So they spin around and I'm like, yo, I'm going to have to give an account for where I'm at right now. I remember it was late at night. I pulled into a, a parking lot. They pulled up beside me like, where you going? Wow. Nowhere now because you done caught me. I'm going back to my apartment on campus. That's where I'm going. That's some discipleship wow. right there. Yes. Oh, I have another story too that I just think is um, work sharing. So, you know, this was a struggle. Like the process of sanctification is just that's a process. Right, mm -hmm. right. Like I gave my life to God. I started going to church, but I had like 20 years of doing a lot of crazy stuff and a lot of stuff that was done to me right. that put me in a place where I was like, yeah, I'm like, I have to take personal responsibility for, you know, my own sin. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it didn't help that I had all this other stuff. So I there were a couple of times I did make it past the gospel patrol. One time in particular, I was like, oh, they not catching me. I'm turning off everything. Boom, everything. I will so be going dark. I'm going dark. I'm, yeah. And it's so funny because I like, you know, was about to go do something dumb. And I remember, man, I like I remember being in this place. I was like, I'm about to just do whatever I want to do. Mm. And the person I was with was like, now nah, you got to go. I was like, wait, mm. wait, hold up. I did not roll all the way over here to get turned down. And so, snuck past the gospel And got past the gospel control <laughs> only to get rejected? Ah! But it was Ooh. a hard, like, he's like, yeah, you got to go right now. Wow. It, out of the blue. I was like, yo, this is not even, I mean, I shouldn't be here, but I yeah, wasn't yeah. expecting telling you to leave. And I, I remember getting The voice of conviction coming from, like, what was supposed to be the source of my rebellion or my disobedience. That's crazy. Yeah. And this guy wasn't even a believer. He was far from it. So for him to be like, you got the guy, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to have to go. So then I was like, well, I might as well join the world again. I turned my phone on. Yo, I realized I got my phone. It was blew, like blew up. Somebody kept calling me. It was mm. one of my friends. It was a guy friend of mine from college. Mm. There's a guy friend of mine from college and he kept calling me and I was like, why is this guy calling me? He was a believer. He was like, love Jesus for real. And I always had a crush on him, but I didn't love God. So I was like, I'm probably not going to snag that one because <laughs> I'm too much of a heathen for him. So anyways, but I can love you from a distance. Um, so but he called me, he called me one. And this was a real, real personal moment. Like this is the power of intercession. Mm. He was like, he leaves a voicemail and I'm listening to the voicemail. I'm like, yo, what? He was like, he's like, hey, you know, Charlene, I'm just calling because I've been praying for you. He's like, I was praying that God protects you from something that was very personal. Mm. It was like uh, like pregnancy or something like very, very specific. Mm. Wow. And I'm like, the moment of his intercession correlates with that time that I got kicked mm. out. <laughs>
I know, I know, I know. What's going to happen next? What's she going to say next? I know. I know there's so many people <laughs> who are like, why are y'all stopping here and now? Because it's 30 minutes. Some of y'all probably need to go back to your work. Lunch, you know, break. lunch break's over. Right. Some of y'all need to wake up from your nap or the kids woke up from their nap. Whatever, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like, we recognize that, you know. Absolutely. You need to take this in a in a d- digestible amount. What you say, Will? Absolutely. I would totally agree with you. And I hope this was enough to at least get you introduced and excited yes. about who Charlene is and why her story is so riveting and why we wanted to share it with you guys. Yes. And this is part one. Uh, so we we didn't toss you off of a cliff and leave <laughs> you to, to, to your demise. There is a part two here and it gets even better. And we want you guys to uh, jump back in and dive back in when it, when it comes back around. So again, this is part one. Hope you guys enjoy. Yes, stay tuned. Part two is on the way. Yup. Hey guys, this is Will B with the Be Real Podcast and Overwhelming Collective. We're thankful for everyone who values and shares our content. If you want to receive access to exclusive content, personal videos, and merch, go support us on Patreon. Grace and peace.